Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Mike Atkins from NerdsAreNerd.com. And we have gathered together once again to talk about two episodes of My Hero Academia. This week we're on episodes 49 and 50. So if you haven't watched those two, this is a very, this the, the whole concept of this podcast is that we talk about all of the things. So hit pause, go catch up if you haven't already. Otherwise, buckle up. We've got a couple of pretty solid episodes ahead of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. And plenty of spoilers ahead. So like Adkins said, go and watch these episodes if you haven't just quite yet. We kind of left off in media res uh, at the end of episode 48 in the midst of a pretty climactic battle, not just for this point in the season, but really for the entire course of the entire series um, with All yeah, Might no and One for All duking it out. So uh, let's let's get into that. This is this is we're, we're going to pick right up with where the action uh, resumes with these two, uh, you know, the number one hero and the biggest of the big bads duking it out. Well, before we get into the action, let's just talk a little bit real quick about this. these few scenes that we get right before uh, we jump right into it. And it, they're great, really, because they're kind of flashbacks to what appears to be a young All Might talking to uh, Nana Shimaru. And he's explaining to her, like, the whole reason he wants to be a hero is because he thinks that the people need a pillar of support. You know, he's talking about how the reason nobody's happy and the reason that there are all these villains is because there's no one for them to look up to. There's no one for them to rely on. And he wants to be that person. He wants to become the symbol of peace. Um, and it's it's kind of great because even she is like, well, that's a little crazy. But, you know, I think out of anyone, you could probably do it. Yeah, he in his talk of wanting to be a symbol or that the world needs a symbol reminded me a lot of the terminology that was flying around during the dark night with, um, you know, the, the second of the Nolan Batman films, there was a lot of talk of people as symbols. I think that was the second one. I'm fairly certain it was because I've, I think I've completely blocked out the third one because it's hot (laughs) garbage. I don't know about that. I like the third one. Well, it's okay to be wrong as you frequently are. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, uh, after we get this scene with the past, we go right back into the present. Uh, Todoroki and Momo are on their cell phones talking with Midoriya. They're pretty much just checking to make sure everybody's okay. And it looks like at this point, like almost everybody in the city that they're in has kind of gathered around into like a Times Square or like uh, Union Square or something like that. And they're watching this massive fight happening up on the big screen. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting because it's like everybody comes out of the woodworks to watch this. Like there is nobody not paying attention to what's happening here and it's all being live streamed everywhere. I mean, it's like there are helicopters flying around, you know, probably all the news stations are covering this. Uh, and we get a quick scene here that I thought was really funny where I think it was Ida talking about how they rescued Bakugo. And yeah. he's like, it wasn't a rescue. You know, it was just, you guys were my only escape route. <laughs> yeah, it's great. You guys didn't rescue me. You were just the best escape route. I didn't want to get in all might's way is what he said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, we, you know, it's kind of interesting too, because Midoriya this whole time is sitting here talking to himself like, man, I wonder if we did the right thing. Like, should we have left All Might? And it just seems odd to me that he's even questioning that. Like, there is no way he would have been any help in that situation, let alone any of the other students. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we are, the questions that he's asking are, that we're made privy to, we also know more. This is, um, you know, dramatic irony. We know more than Midoriya does at this point. We've seen that All Might is already like half of his body is kind of reverted to Jinko Jean's form with this punch that he just landed on All for One at the end of the previous episode. So we know that All Might is in pretty dire straits. Um, 
just we have a lot of visual cues and i guess the news at this point is only shooting all might's good side you know like the side where he's still like buff all might especially in the face where he doesn't have uh where he does have the eyebrow and is still kind of jacked up um but, yeah but we get the benefit of these tight shots and we can see that he's slipping and so does all for one i mean all for one is he, he sees all this too and he, he knows that um all might is in some some pretty serious trouble so he just starts running his mouth at all might Oh, yeah. He's talking about how like awful uh, Nana Shimaru was and how she was just like, a, I think he calls her like a pathetic woman that had high ideas, but no way to execute them or something along the lines of that. Right. Uh, in fact, he even I was kind of confused for a second here because he, he starts talking about, you know, how she died. And he's like, do you want me to tell you how she died? Uh, you know, it was really an awful way to go. And I guess I was under the impression that All Might was with her when she died. So this is kind of news to us that they weren't together because for some reason I had it stuck in my head that like they fought all for one together and then she died in the process. And as she was dying, she handed over these powers. But now we're learning that it seems like she was around for quite a while and actually trained All Might into this new powers that he received from her. Yeah, he refers to her as a master later on um, in in. Actually, it might have been right before um, this this point, the, the the conversation that you're talking about, like in the midst of that, where he, all for one, says her name, and, he, and All Might's like, never speak my master's name. You know, don't you don't get yeah. to say that name. Well, and this whole time, uh, Gran Torino notices that All Might just can't handle this, and he's getting heated, he's getting his motion, he's letting his emotions get to him, and there's a punch that's about to take place, and Gran Torino kind of like jumps in and grabs All Might and gets him out of there, and he's like, dude, you cannot let this guy get under your skin, because that's exactly what happened last time, and you ended up with a hole in your stomach, and he got away. So, we have to get him, it's do or die, and you you're gonna you're gonna have to go past your limit. Like this is it, you know. And so he's he's amping All Might up for this fight, and All Might's taking it. I mean, I think he's actually paying attention for once. Uh, and there was a scene here that reminded me of something you said a couple episodes ago. Uh, whenever the students were at the campsite and the villains attack, you had mentioned that it was nightmarish along the lines of when mm -hmm. All Might was fighting Bakugo and Midoriya. Well, we go up to this newscaster in a helicopter, and the first thing he says is, this is literally a nightmare. You know, the Kamino Ward is totally destroyed. All Might's getting beaten up. Like, this villain is, is nasty. So, like, even in this universe, this is now nightmare situation, you know? Yeah, and in my notes, too, I, I had a note on what that newscaster was saying, and the newscaster's like, I can't believe it. There appears to be just one villain. And my note right up under that is, I can't believe that there's only one hero. Like, where is everybody else when this is going right. on? Like, why aren't heroes just swarming this place? And, that we, you know, over the course of this episode, a few do show up shortly, but I was like, man, what is taking everybody? This, is, this isn't like... It has to go through dispatch. Like you said, everybody is watching this. If they aren't standing in a square and watching this battle on, you know, on like a, you know, Times Square-esque giant screen, there's all these shots of um, even some of the students and their families sitting inside of their homes, watching their friend and their mentor and their, uh, their sensei, you know, getting the crap kicked out of them. Um, so well, I would imagine that like if there were heroes in the Camino ward, they're probably either dead or buried under rubble. But on top of that, if there are other heroes watching, they're like, well, you know, All Might's number one and he's getting his ass handed to him. I am not yeah. getting near that. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh -oh. So I, I have... I would expect to some extent that they're probably just too scared to go. Yeah, I, and I could I could understand that, but uh, you know, I just that my that was my next note. It's just like where where are all the heroes? Why aren't we just mobbing this guy? Like if, if right. we know him, well, and I don't know that everybody knows a who All for One is. 
and B, what he's capable of. Um, so they may not, they may think in part that All Might might be able to do this just fine. We, we, we have uh, a little bit of an inkling that that might not necessarily be the case though. So I was just like, what, True. All right, where, where are these other guys at? But uh, they, they yeah. show up eventually. Well, and this is also the scene where, like you mentioned, you're seeing all the students and whatnot, like in their homes, watching this fight with like their families. And they, we get these weird, like insightful comments from all of these different citizens. Like at least for the subtitles, it, they were like li- yeah. listed as a uh, citizen 49A, 49B. And they're saying things about like how the heroes seem like they're slacking off and they're like, well, you know, all might will be fine. And I don't know. It was just, that's the first time we've really gotten into the heads of the citizens. And it was kind of neat to see like what they were thinking from their perspective, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this, we had a kind of a similar scene when the when they were doing the press conference and like explaining what was going on at the camp. Um, and you know, we had that cool scene where the students were like a red, and then everybody else was blue, and they were all kind of mumbling about you know distrust, basically, and heroes being bred. Uh, but yeah, this is. I mean, it's it's the the, the citizenry in this show. They are a significant character. In fact, they are the character that um, Shigaraki is targeting the most, really. I mean, he's, he is obviously doing work on the heroes, um, but it's to, it's to affect, it's to shake up the, the, the masses, in effect. So it's good that we kind of see exactly that happening as the show progresses, especially during the scene, because if something was going to shake the citizenry to the core with regards to what heroes are and aren't capable of, this is it. This is the scene. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Uh, well, we get into this fight. I mean, this is really where this the showdown starts happening. After kind of a couple minutes of smack talk there, uh, all for one and kind of starts off by talking about how he feels bad that he's going to land the final blow for Shigaraki. Like Shigaraki has been, you know, mastering this plan. And and then he goes into this weird like tyrant about how he despises All Might more than All Might probably despises him and how he like lost all of his research it seemed like and like his entire infrastructure was just destroyed by All Might. This guy like really 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 has it out for him. It's it's pretty impressive how much he hates All Might. Yeah, and he starts to um, kind of funnel or, or command some quirks into his arm again, and uh, Gran Torino sees this punch coming, so he's, he's like, I'm getting out of here. It's time to dodge, but All Might realizes that he, he can't really dodge because there's a citizen that's, like, her head is poking out through the rubble behind him, and if he moves, then she takes this blow that's meant for him, so he does the heroic thing and, and stands there and takes this thing. I mean, full on. It looks, it reminded me a lot of uh, that, that time where Piccolo jumped in front of that blast from Napa that was meant for Gohan and just stands there and takes the full front uh, of this blast and, and kind of keeps this area immediately behind him safe from, from the assault. And uh, then this is when the smoke clears all Might's not half Gene Kojin's form. He's he's full on Jinko Jeans, and the cameras are still rolling, and everybody sees All Might in this what we what you could call I think even All for One calls it his his true form. This this uh, kind of emaciated looking form that we've grown familiar with seeing in a three piece suit at the school. Right. And, and there are several people that are reporting on it and they're like, wow, like he looks like a skeleton. Like what happened to that guy? Why is he so skinny? You know? Uh, and you know, there's something I want to talk about here that I think is really interesting or or not even interesting. It's just great. Um, all might mentions that no matter how he looks, he's still all might. And in his heart, he remains a symbol of peace. 
And I, I, the whole time this is happening, like at this point, I'm still convinced that All Might's going to die, that All for One is going to kill him. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, that kind of belief has turned into an ideology at this point for the entire world. You know, like everybody sees this symbol of peace, this person that they can believe in. Like he could probably have killed All Might because now we know that he doesn't. Uh, and I, I don't think that that symbol of peace thought would have died. Like you can't kill an ideology like that. You know what I mean? Like someone else would have risen up and taken All Might's place. I think whether it would have been Endeavor or Midoriya, even if it was five or six years later, I think another hero would have risen up and become the new symbol of peace. Yeah, but we also learn a little later on in this episode that All for One's goal wasn't necessarily at this point. At, in this particular moment with this specific blow and all the blows that came before this one, it wasn't to kill All Might at all. In fact, he is doing effe- very effectively what he has been trying to encourage Shigaraki to do, which is to break All Might as that symbol that he purports to be. And so you had mentioned this line where All Might's like, even if my body rots and grows weak, but my heart will remain the symbol of peace. And All Might says, that's not something that you can steal even a single piece of. And all for one counters and he's like well uh, then perhaps this won't hurt your heart either shigaraki is nana's nana shimura's grandson and i kept thinking about what you would hate the most and i created opportunities for you two to meet and you defeated him and this yeah. starts breaking all my down hard Oh, it's like an immediate... I mean, the way that they drew him in this scene is fantastic because you can see that immediate psychological break. Like, yeah. he, he almost can't believe it. He starts trembling, and he's so upset. And, and I mean, I got to say, like, all of my predictions about this were wrong. I didn't expect uh, Shigaraki to be that far removed from Nana Shimura. Right. So the fact that it's like, you know, or that he's her grandson, that just, I don't know, it even blew my mind. And I was like, man, that's so dark. Like, I think All for One mentions that he found him and groomed him him specifically to hate All Might so that way he could watch All Might destroy his master's grandson. Um, and, and then All Might's like, that can't be true. And he just goes, well, think about it. Isn't that something I would do? Yes, I love that Man, line. That you, is just dark. You He's realize so it's true. It's something that I would do. And then he does this this awesome, I mean, it's very dark and, and gross at the same time, but uh, all for one, as he says that line, I think he he's like looking at all Mike and he's like, where's your smile now? And he sticks his fingers into like the oh, fleshy yeah. parts of his face and kind of pulls it up into this weird smile thing. And oh, it was, was like, so disturbing. Ugh. Yes, it's yeah. so disturbing to watch. Even my wife, Hannah, was watching it with me, and she was like, what in the world? Like, that's just, it's, the way he does it, everything about it is just so disturbing. It, like, that image will stick with you, you know? And it, it causes All Might to think back to Shimura saying something like, no matter how scary things get, give them a smile. It's, it's, it's as if to say, I'm okay. And the people in this world who can smile are always the strongest. And that, that reminded me of, this is a little off, off the beaten path, but when I was in high school, I took a statistics class and we had to do a presentation, a statistical analysis of something. And me and my buddy Kyle did an analysis of goldfish uh, pepper, like the little goldfish from Pepperidge Farms, you know those little crackers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because we had count, we had come across this this I don't know an article or something that said that Pepperidge Farms had invested all this research into determining how many of those crackers should have a smile printed on them. So if you look at a package of goldfish crackers or a handful of them, not all of them will have smiles, and there's a psychological reason why, and the reason is because 
they determined that somebody who smiles more than like 40% of their life should be considered clinically insane. And so they, yeah, so they took that number and they used it to justify not printing smiles on whatever that percent was. I say in 40, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but we, we went through two of those giant boxes of goldfish crackers and, and counted them all out and did a statistical analysis and determined that Pepperidge Farm goldfish crackers are not in fact insane, totally sane according to the number, whatever that number was. So it's not just that the, the strongest people are the ones that smiling, but possibly the craziest ones that are smiling. That's that's funny. Uh, Nana also said something in this flashback that I really liked because I think it, it kind of rings true through something that All Might has been trying to teach Midoriya from the beginning of the show. She says, real heroes don't save lives. They save someone's heart, too. And I think that's like Midoriya kind of gets that. I think that's what he was trying to do with Coda. And, you know, that's ultimately what All Might was trying to do with Midoriya when he passed down that quirk. But it's so like this is one of those moments where she says that. And all you could think about is the fact that All Might didn't save Shigaraki. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it hits home. It's hard right there to hear that. And I think in a previous episode, I had posited that perhaps Shigaraki was yeah. one that All Might didn't save. And yeah, I think you totally got that one right. It, well, even if I don't, I think I was talking about it in the past as opposed to what, what this is. Like, this is a very different situation, but it's in the same ballpark, if that makes sense. I had a note definitely, too definitely. for what uh, Nana said, where it says, True heroes save hearts, not just lives. I said, And stomachs, recalling that Ida was like, <laughs> We feed them too. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that that was just amended on a little bit later. You know, these things evolve over time. But oh, this yeah, is definitely. this is one of my favorite parts of the episode right here. As cool as as everything has been up to this point, and as harrowing as it had been, as it has been, there's this cool scene where the young lady who's trapped in the rubble, who is literally just saved by All Might, begins to kind of you can hear her talking, and she's like, "You can beat him, please. You have to." And it kind of zooms out from All Might, and you go to all these these crowds and these people sitting in front of their televisions, and they're like, "Man, this looks really bad," but. If he doesn't beat him, I don't think that anyone can. And he, he's got to come out on top. You know, you can't you can't lose. You have to do it. And then there's this just this climactic shot of Bakugo and Midoriya shouting, you know, you you can win all might. And I love that scene of all the citizens. Um, they seem to have kind of gotten over the initial shock of Gene Kojin's form all might. And they're like, he, he's got to do this. He's the man. He's the person that can. Uh, and that was a really cool scene. Oh, yeah. And they're even saying things along the lines of like, even if he looks different, he's still our All Might. You yeah. know, and I just thought that was so cool. I'm right there with you. Like, hands down, it was a super endearing scene, probably the best one in this episode. Like, the fighting is great, but just seeing that much support from the general public was just awesome to see. Yeah. And it, and it lights a fire inside All Might. I mean, he actually addresses the lady in the rubble, and he's like, you're right, there is a lot to protect. And that's why I won't lose. And that's when his right arm just like explodes into super muscly form. uh, And he starts to have this kind of flashback memory or just recollection of something that uh, Nana Shimura had said to him that, you know, when you're when you feel you're at your limit, you just remember why you swing those fists, you know, where you came from, your origin. And that'll push you just a little bit past your limit. Um, And I think this is where the imagery of the ember starts. In the episode, yeah, it is. this is definitely where it starts because it's got like Nana standing in some sort of it appears to be like a snowstorm with a fire burning in the background, and the fire is very much so representative of one for all. 
And uh, I mean, this this imagery, I love it too, yes. because throughout the rest of this episode, it keeps popping back up. And it reminds me so much of Dark Souls. I don't know if you ever played Dark Souls, but it just felt like this, you know, Dark Souls-esque feeling to it. It was just so cool. Yeah, the imagery shortly in this in this same episode gets super powerful. Um, we'll talk about that when it comes up. But um, All for One, of course, is still on this scene. And he's still running his mouth at, at All Might um, as he sees that he's preparing what he, for what All for One thinks is probably going to be his final assault. I mean, All Might looks wrecked. I mean, in All for One's yeah. like, he can't have that much left. Yeah, at this point, he's channeling all of his power into one arm. So just one arm is powered up. And even Gran Torino is like, this form, it cannot be good for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if you just think about it from like a muscular standpoint, if, if you are forcing one side of your body to do something it can't, the rest of your body can't keep up with it, and you're going to end up breaking more muscle down than if you were to trying to force all of it to do something at once. Yeah. Like, it, it's bad. Uh, and All for One is actually still making fun of All Might, and not even really making fun of him as much as he's just chastising him. And he says something here that I thought was really freaky. Uh, all for One mentions that he still has nightmares about All Might running towards him with his entrails hanging out. And I'm like, oh, man, can you imagine? Yeah. That's like... Gruesome. Girl. So gross. Yeah. And this is when Endeavor and all the other heroes show up. Like, out of nowhere, you know, all of a sudden, All for One just gets lit up. And Kamui comes in, and he picks up Mount Lady, and he tells her, good job. And I think Edshot pops around behind him. Um, you know, and, and it's great because even Endeavor is like, what is it with this weak body, All Might? He, we get this flashback where Endeavor is talking about how no matter how hard he worked, there was always this massive, huge gap between him and All Might. And he tells All Might, he's like, man, you got to stand up and you got to show the world that you're better than this. And I think he just helps, you know, rejuvenate All Might a little bit. It was pretty cool. Yeah. In the manga, this scene is even more interesting to me because you kind of get a glimpse inside of Endeavor's mind here. Uh, and he says, he's, you know, this is internal monologue and he, this is Endeavor speaking. He says all this effort just to beat you. But the more I trained, the more obvious it was this gap between us and how I was always lagging behind. And he says that despair, it led me to, and it trails off into an ellipses and like over top of one of his flaring eyeballs, you see his wife and Todoroki. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw that that was kind of in the anime too, but it was, was it? real quick. Okay. Yeah. I, it, yeah. It kind of helps the manga, you know, you don't have to hit pause. You don't miss as much. <laughs> right. So yeah. he's, he's like, man, you know, this, this broken man is the reason why I did these, these things that I think that he even realizes is that, that they were kind of evil, underhanded, dirty things. And, and now this is pissing him off because of the state that he sees the hero that kind of, from his perspective, led him to that place. Um, he, he now sees him broken and in and, and, and very dire straits before him. Well, we definitely also have some of the other heroes showing up. I, I noticed that Tiger was in the background, that he was saving the woman that was in the rubble. Yep. And this was the first time I noticed that he has some sort of stretch quirk. Like, it looked like his arm was wrapped around her several times, and I thought that was pretty cool. I thought I we talked that about that before. already, the playa body thing. I, maybe we had, and I just forgot. It's been, you know... One of those weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're on day two and it feels like day 10. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, but I just, I had it in my notes. I was like, wow, that was really cool. Uh, and so now that the area appears to have been cleared out a little bit more, uh, it seems like All Might and All for One are finally just going to 
just do each other out. You know, like they're like, all right, let's just end each other. Yeah. And all for one starts this power up that is insane. I mean, he he's got spring like limbs, kinetic booster times four, strength enhancer, rivets, air walk, spear like boots. Like he just starts loading up one arm with all of these quirks, and it looks disgusting. Like it looks like he's got fifteen arms coming out of his shoulder with all of these like spikes and like other hands. And I mean, it's just disgusting looking. Yeah. And I think his plan is to just hit All Might with literally everything he has in one massive hit. Yeah, and this is where he says, all these previous hits were just meant to weaken you and expose you, but this one is the ultimate combination of quirks that I have right now, and so here it comes. Um, And he lands this punch, but All Might's able to block it with this kind of pumped up arm, sort of. I mean, uh, he pulls a little bit of a trick. Um, This is something that Gran Torino had told him he had to do. You can't just you know, run up into his face and punch him. He knows that's your thing. You're going to have to do a little bit of trickery. So he's got his right arm jacked. And when this punch from all for one comes in, he kind of switches the power over to his other arm. So he blocks it with his weak arm. Um, We don't see that fully until uh, there's a little bit of dialogue that takes place here. Um, Because here it is that all for one is basically saying, all right, listen, I'm confident after punching you that you don't have the one for all anymore. It's not, it's not inside of you anymore. And he even names Midoriya. He's like, you, you gave it to that kid, and now you're going to die full of regrets because you failed as, not only as the number one hero, but also as a teacher. And this is when, I believe, All Might reveals that he pulled the good old switcheroo um, and starts to retaliate where he, like I said, he kind of suckered him in with that right arm being the strong one. But he transferred all that power over to his left, so he's able to sucker punch him. But this is where the that really cool Ember imagery comes up again, because there's this scene where now, like a fully nude All Might, I mean, they don't show anything, but a, a naked and exposed to that snowstorm that you were talking about earlier, All Might is crouched over this Ember, and he's got a couple twigs in his hands, like he's just nursing this fire. He just needs it yeah. to last him just a little while longer. Um, and he's and, like totally emaciated in this scene too. Like, yeah. He looks even worse than Jinko jeans all might, you know? Yeah. And I love that imagery was some of my favorite of the entire show. Just this very yeah. poetic metaphorical imagery of all might just desperately trying to nurse what little flame that he's got left so that he can finish this right here. So he can take uh, one for all out. Yeah, no, it's, it was a, uh, it was a very, or all for one, sorry, not scene. one for all. Right, yeah, uh, <laughs> one for all. Uh, but yeah, it was a very sentimental scene, man. It was, uh, it was, it was sweet. It was touching. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he he smashes uh, one for all for one. And I love this moment too because he makes a mention like I think all for one says you know once he smashes one for all all for one it just says something like yeah even that punch was really weak and he goes yeah but that's because I didn't put my back into it yeah so the first <laughs> smash was just up. it just says smash I don't think he called out any any state or anything before it but the one where no, that you're referring no. to he he called he's it's the United States of Smash when he finally Which, pushes back into it. Yeah, and I totally love that too because I think I had mentioned previously that like, you know, there was a moment where he says like Delaware, Detroit, Smash, and I'm like, okay, are they just going to keep adding states or cities and eventually that's just going to mean like this ultimate power, you know, if you just keep saying more states and cities and I know someone's brought up to us that like they're just doing that for emphasis that it actually doesn't have anything to do with the quirk, but I sort of feel like doing this just proves that like with the power of the 50 states, he's going to smash his enemies instead of just having to say like you know texas smash (laughs) yeah and he does i mean he smashes the snot 
out of all for one. And this is... And it like creates a tornado and everything. I mean, it was insane. My favorite thing that it does, and I love this visually, I think this is such a neat thing. It happened a lot in Dragon Ball Z too, where it creates a crater. Um, Right, right, yeah. And that visual always looks cool to me when there's a crater formed um, based on impact of any kind. It always, I'm just like, man, that was cool. And, And so he smashes him into the ground and it forms this massive crater that they're sitting at the epicenter of. And, you know, like, like you had said, this tornado thing, like, whips up into the sky. And he, he seems, he appears to have won. But we see that, that very poetic imagery of the ember um, all might kind of crouched over this thing. And it, and it kind of blinks out. He just says, you know, farewell, one for all. And, and yeah. you know, you get that visual, very poetic, again, um, image that this is it. This is, this is the last of what he's capable of. This is the end of all might as a superhero, at least not a hero necessarily, but a superhero for sure. Well, yeah, not only, I mean, it's not even really just the end quite yet because after he stands up, like he's still in that emaciated form, he raises his hand in the air and then he muscles up real quick and everybody around him is like crying. Like the guy up in the helicopter is crying and he goes to the union square and everybody's crying. And like the only person in the crowd not crying is Bakugo, but even the way they drew him, you can just see how much like pride and respect is in his face, you know, and Ed shots kind of freaking out off to the side and he's talking to Grand Torino and Endeavor and he's like man that guy should not be doing this like he should not be pushing himself anymore and Grand Torino's like look it's his final job yeah he's still working he's still like, I he love that still line. On the clock it was so you know? good he's still working yeah um I, yeah. I love this image so much I really need to um take a picture of this and the week that this episode goes live we record these out a little ways but the week that this episode goes live I'm going to take I'm going to post a picture of this page from the manga of Buff All Might with his, I mean, just in tatters, blood dripping off of him with his arm, like, stuck up in the air. It's such a good page. And it's got Gran Torino saying he's still on the job and Bakugo kind of looking up at him from the corner. I mean, it is it is a, it is a phenomenal page of this manga, so it deserves to be seen. You should totally send it to me, and I'll, we'll use it for the, uh, the website's episode picture. Okay, cool. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, the- so one for all is is gone uh, from All Might, and I mean All Might's victorious, but at the end of the day, it cost him a lot. Mm-hmm. But he managed to kind of keep that that pillar, or at least the perception of the pillar, intact, and I think that was fairly important for him and fairly necessary for the citizenry after what they had seen kind of transpire up until that that victory blow was achieved. And um, on the other side of uh, one for, of all for one being knocked out. The civilian rescue operation begins. You see a bunch of heroes kind of run around. Even the um, the lady with the snake hairs is involved, um, kind of calling out yeah. the location of civilians. What's her name again? Suba or something like that. I think it's isn't it Uabami? Uabami, that's it. Or Bari. And she Uabami. like it looked like her uh, her snakes were like able to like see people like she was like, cause I feel like they zoom over to her and she's like, there's one over there and there's one over there and there's one down that way. Yeah. Like so the snakes like are she's... like bird dogs, but for people they're they're But for people. Yeah. yeah they're like, they're human dogs. They're human and... dog snakes. We're going to go with that. Right. Yeah. Human dog snakes. Uh, 
So we get the scene real quick with the newscasts trying to get interviews. It looks like, of course, the news, the media is always going to be like in the way of everybody trying to do the stuff, right? Like they've got to get their story and they're looking for the the villain and they see him getting put into this massive like prison cell. Like it looked like a mobile prison cell. Like they were not skipping out on how they were going to transport this guy. Uh, and All Might turns around and points at the camera and he just says, it's your turn now. And Midoriya is kind of taking this in and he says, you know, everybody around me probably thought that that meant for the, that was meant for the next villain, but I know that that was meant for me. And that's, that's kind of creepy. Like, I mean, Midoriya knows that it's up to him now. You know, there's not going to be anyone else as far as he's concerned that's going to step up and take All Might's place. Yeah, in my notes, the last two things that I have in my notes for this episode just says, Midoriya is still the cryingest kid ever, but this time I'll allow it. This time makes sense. Yeah. And this is one of those times. Yeah. And Bakugo kind of is looking at Midoriya like, what what's going on? And Bakugo is suspicious. We're gonna we're gonna learn next episode just how suspicious he is about uh, what transpires right here at the end of episode 49. And uh, the last note that I have for 49 is just that this is the most cinematic episode yet. And what I mean by that is, if this if this episode were turned into a movie, I would watch the hell out of it. I mean, it is so beautifully oh, yeah. rendered um, that I I could watch this episode over and over again just for the visuals alone. Um, but it also houses an incredible amount of real story and narrative. It's not just a bunch of of uh, fighting and and you know, smashing action figures together. There's so much that took place in this episode that it is, it's not my favorite episode ever, but it is the most cinematic is the best way, best way I could think to describe It's the most cinematic episode that we've seen so far. Just the way that it is engineered and, and directed is, is perfect. I mean, it is, it is a really, really, really well engineered episode. For sure. I think once I finished it, I even sent you a message and I was like, man, episode 49 is a, a beautifully crafted piece of work. Yeah. You know, like the way that they've laid everything out is just great. Um, and, you know, episode 50 is really good. It's not a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. But I got to say, if you've sat down to watch episode 49 and then you watch 50, it's just kind of like, ah, eh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's episode 50 is a lot slower. Um, it is, it, it, there's nothing, it's not exactly like it's devoid of all things meaningful. Um, but it, it, it definitely is a dramatic change of pace and tone. From, definitely. I mean, episode 49 is like, you know, you crank the volume up to 17 and 50 is like, all right, now bring it back down to two. Yeah. I mean, really the whole of season three so far has felt pretty much like pedal to the metal movement. Um, and 50 just definitely is, you know, you, you got brake checked and so you have to slam on the brakes and, and kind of reorient yourself a little bit here. For sure. Uh, when we get kicked off with this, uh, the, I think it's the Metro police. I was kind of confused because there were several times people were. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because there were several times where they're talking about the chief of police who I thought was a dog. I realized later that the chief of police that was the dog must've been the one in Hosu. And this must be one in the Camino ward. That's, I guess that's the only way I can figure out who these people were. Okay. But they're, they're talking about how the Nomus are just mindless animals. The warehouse was destroyed, and they don't really think that they can get anything from it. 
And all of the perpetrators like Shigaraki and everyone else got away. So, you know, I think one of the guys is like, well, ultimately, you know, we got the boss, but the entire operation was pretty much just a draw. And the chief of police is like, no, like we totally lost because our symbol of peace is dead. Like citizens and villains both know that they can just raise hell with a handful of thugs and there's not really much we can do about it. Like all might's gone. We never should have relied on just one hero to begin with. Like we have done this for far too long. It's time to change. And they kind of make a comment about how police are going to have to start going after villains now and not relying on the heroes to do it for them. So this is an interesting total change of pace for the way that this system is set up it seems like yeah um one of one of the suits says that's the price we pay for always relying on one man and a similar sentiment is expressed amongst the heroes here shortly but i just wanted to take this opportunity to uh communicate a little bit of a psa public service announcement if you ever in the course of your life look like this dude who says that's the price we pay for always relying on one man and you just have this like one sprig of hair that's like two feet long and come straight out the top of the middle <laughs> of your head, do yourself a favor and just pull that sucker out. Don't, don't walk around like that. Do yourself a favor. Just go ahead and, and pluck it right on out and, and move on. You don't have to yeah, cling was... to the vestiges of a head full of hair with that one little weird, overly long strand hanging over your head. Like that thing that dangles in front of an angler fish, just get rid of it. Yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely drawn pretty strangely. Uh, but they, they all kind of were, they look like some goofy dudes, you know? Um, they did mention, though, that I think this is interesting. Their total profile about Shigaraki has changed. Yeah. Because they're talking about how he's no longer childish. Like, they used to think that he was erratic and just, you know, this crazy guy. But now he is, like, a real threat. Uh, so, you know, th- this is interesting because now they're really taking this seriously. Whereas beforehand, I kind of felt like they were just like, eh, I mean... What's, he, what's the worst he can do? You know what I mean? Even after USJ and even after the campsite incident, it was still kind of like, well, it's it's just a, a disgruntled teenager. Like, we'll get them busted up. But now they know, like, this is for real. Yeah, and I think that what makes that, that realization or that statement from the police even cooler is I still don't know that they know what Shigaraki's quirk is. So they aren't talking about what he's capable of with his power. He's talking about what he's capable of with his or literally his organization with the people that he has around him now. Yeah. And his ideas for sure. Which is really cool. I mean, again, this is kind of a neat little way that Horikoshi is, is kind of putting it out there as read instead of leaving it to be deduced. Um, you know, in the mind of the reader, he's saying, Hey, let's be clear. Shigaraki has come a long way and he's only going to get better and scarier. And people are taking notice of this. If you ha- if you somehow have missed this, um, you should know that Shigaraki is maturing and and the waves that he is capable of making are getting bigger and bigger and it's he's going to continue to be a problem. And that's a really neat way to do it. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, I used to think that Bakugo and Midoriya were foils, but after this episode, it made me realize that I think that the foil of Midoriya is really supposed to be Shigaraki. Oh, definitely. I mean, they, they're very, very similar. I mean, they have similar backgrounds, it seems like, and they were just in the wrong spot at the wrong time, or they were just in different spots at the different times, you know? So I'm curious to see what it is that the police end up doing um, as a result of all this. Because like you said, one of them, the chief or whoever it is, says, as the police, we have to prove that we can do more than simply taking in the villains that the heroes defeat. I wonder if that's going to prove problematic in the future. Like they they get in the way or they overly complicate, you know, put too much red tape in. 
uh, in place for yeah. heroes to operate. I'm curious to see what comes of that. It could just be nothing. Maybe it's just words. But if he's honest and they do begin to do something else or something more, I wonder if that's going to prove more of a hindrance or an obstacle than just doing things as they've always done and letting the heroes make the changes that they realize they now have to make, which is a discussion that we're about to get into here. Definitely. I, I do have a question for you. So one of the things that I thought about multiple times during this episode, these p- chief of police people, like, I mean, the, I guess it was some sort of like police organization, like the head honchos, they're talking about all these changes. None of none of them appear to be exhibiting any kind of quirks. And the other thing that I realized was all of the no moves that were being fought against by the police, like none of those police were using quirks against those no moves. They were just using guns. So do you think that the policemen or the police people, I guess the police men and women, do they not have quirks or do they not have good quirks or are they just not allowed to use their quirks? You know what I mean? Because it seems like there can't be that many quirkless people to have an entire police force. Sure. I mean, so 20%. Like, why don't they just... Why don't they just slap a police outfit on Endeavor? You know what I mean? Just give him a badge. Then he can do what he wants, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think that the reason why might be, you know, that 20% of the population isn't nothing, number one. Number two, we've learned that, um, you know, for for these heroes to use, for anybody really to use their quirks out in public in any way that even remotely looks like law enforcement or the pursuit of justice or evil for that fact, or for that matter— that they have to get this really special license and that the hero stuff came after police procedures was already well in place. So it would be easier to just have this other place for all the hero stuff to take place and keep it totally distinct and separate from what we would consider to be like a standard police force. I guess so. It just seems like it would be easier to integrate it all. I don't know. I I mean, obviously I'm wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm just going for like the Occam's razor answer which is it would sure. ju- i think it would just be easier not to try to f- rewrite all police all existing police protocol to allow for heroes who would have different rules and to just let the hero thing become its own deal which is which is by all a- appearances what took place inside of this they have some oversight like they heroes can be persecuted or prosecuted rather by police if they violate whatever their regulations are so the police are kind of almost like a check and balance to the okay. heroes. See, and, and put in that light, I'm cool with it. Like checks and balances need to be in place. So I am, I'm all for that. Well, we, we end up transitioning to a scene with uh, Gran Torino, All Might, and Sukoichi, and it seems like they're all hanging out in the hospital again. They like this season we've spent a decent amount of time hanging out in hospitals. Oh yeah. And All Might is still like wanting to do good. I mean, he's talking about how he doesn't have all for one or he doesn't have one for all anymore, but he still wants to be a hero. He still wants to try and do things. And Sukoichi is talking to him like, well, how did you guys not know about, you know, Nana Shimura's grandson and Shigaraki? Like, how did this all escape you all? And, you know, apparently shortly after Nana's husband died, she decided to put her child into foster care to keep him safe and then told Toshinori and Gran Torino to pretty much stay away from him. You know, she didn't want him exposed to the hero world, and she told both of them just not contact their kid no matter what happened to her, which seems pretty, like, I don't know, that seems like an odd choice, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that whole paradigm within Marvel Comics, like, I'm thinking specifically around, like, Spider-Man, where once once you're kind of exposed as a hero that your loved ones in your immediate vicinity, your acquaintances, even your workplace, wherever it is that you might frequent, whoever it is that you might spend time with, that they be kind of get targeted. 
Um, yeah, that's true. So I, I, I guess that's that's the lens that I looked at it through. Is kind of like, well, now that you know my husband is has been fallen victim to this, I need to save who I can. And so she takes her grandson and and puts him into foster care just to keep her child away from from her. I mean, she realized that she's drawing aggro because of who she is and what she can do. And so she's just kind of distancing him. Um, it's a tough, it's one of those tough love things where you do something that's incredibly hard, um, but is also, you know, a very deep and high expression of love for somebody. True. True. Well, all my mentions is that he actually wants to go like find Shigaraki. And I, I love what Gran Torino says. Cause he's like, when, what are you going to do when you find him? Pat him on the head. Yeah. You know, and he, he's like, he's lost man. Like he's a criminal. And, and the fact that you're thinking of him in any other way is so dangerous because that is going to how that's how you're going to fall into his hands. And I think he's got a huge point. Like if all might start seeing Shigaraki as, you know, this like, possible apprentice that he never got his hands on or someone that he could have saved if he had gotten to him first. Like I think if he humanizes Shigaraki, then he's going to fall into this trap. You know what I mean? Right. And I was kind of curious what you think, like if Stain was around, do you think that he would just be absolutely mortified that all might is no longer a, a hero? You know what I mean? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I would have to think about that a little, for a little bit more time than we have left to record. But um, I think it's an interesting question. I, th- I think that Stain, just like off the cuff here, Stain saw All Might as the epitome of being a hero, and All Might was not anything less than that in this fight against uh, All for One. So I think he would have been elated by All Might's performance. I don't know how he would have reacted to the results if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Well, we get a couple of quick scenes that follow up with this where the kids, and when I say the kids, I mean like Ida, Momo, uh, Todoroki and uh, Midoriya take Bakugo to the police station. And Midoriya mentions that, you know, Bakugo pretty much didn't talk to him the whole time. And then we have another scene with Todoroki and family. It's like him and his sister talking and, you know, uh, she mentions like, well, where have you been? And and they hear Endeavor in the background that's just destroying stuff. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's been this way ever since I got home. And they look into the gym real quick and he has like lit his entire gym on fire and all of the workout equipment's destroyed. And he, he's got this internal monologue talking about how mad he is that he's gotten the number one spot like this because, you know, he's like all might failed. It's not that I earned the spot. It's not that I was good enough to get it. It's just that the guy in front of me is no longer doing it. So, and you know, for the first time I kind of see where Endeavor's coming from. Like I get that. Like it would suck to work your whole life for something and then only get it because someone else did it, not because you were good enough to get it. You know what I mean? This reminded me a lot too of the way that Bakugo he continues to talk this way, but uh, we got to see it showcased in a very specific way during the festival when he's like, don't give me anything less than 100% and let me beat that. Don't give me anything less because I, I need to be the number one undisputed hero. And in order to do that, I have to beat you at your peak. And Endeavor feels like he's been robbed of, of that in a very similar way with All Might. And he's wrestling with that. And I like that. I mean, I don't think that, that was internal monologue. I think he was talking out loud. Was he? Yeah, I thought yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but um, I, I think he was talking out loud. And Todoroki, you know, goes uh, to that little training area and you know sees his dad sitting in the middle of a burning room, just frustrated. And 
I mean, that's a that's a very humanizing scene as well for Endeavor too. I think that there were two really good Endeavor moments in in these two episodes. The one where he's struggling with his the first time that he lays eyes on this you know deflated All Might and what that what that implies for all that he's done to get to the point that he was at and now struggling with where he is as a result of all that. And that's pretty tough. I wonder if we're going to get some sort of like Endeavor redemption arc. Like I wonder if Todoroki seeing him in this state is made him realize that maybe his dad made some bad decisions because of a mental state that he was in or something, you know? Yeah, it could be interesting. I think that I, I certainly don't think that we're done. I hope we're not done having Endeavor around as a character. Um, I yeah, mean, me either. I doubt that we are. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that they would just make him the number one hero and then relegate him to nothingness. So, Yeah. Well, we get another quick scene here where Deku makes it home, and he pretty much takes a nap, and he gets a call from All Might, so he ditches his mom, who's made him dinner, to go to the beach to meet All Might, where they train together. Okay, hold on, and there's this Because where you're 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 running past this one scene that made me laugh out loud when when it takes place. Oh yeah. Yeah, both in the manga and in the anime Midoriya's mom like when he gets to her apartment um she just says, "Man, it really looks like All Might had a hard time." And I just have in my notes that just like understatement of the century. Like <laughs> it looked like All Might had a little bit of t- uh, it looked like he had a little bit of trouble there for a minute, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like good lord. Well, lady. what's even worse is she doesn't even know that Midoriya was there for the entire thing because he, you know, he called her from the hospital the day before and was just like, "Yeah, I'll be home tomorrow. Don't worry about me." Yeah. So as far as she's concerned, he might have just been like hanging out with Ida, studying for the next test or something. That's true. Like I think if if she knew that he was on site and had like witnessed all of this firsthand, she'd be losing her mind. Oh yeah, you're not wrong there. But I do got to say, so we we go back to this beach here. The first thing that All Might does when he sees Midoriya is is punch him in the face with a Texas smash. Yeah. And I I just have in my notes, what is it with all of these broken individuals punching each other? (laughs) Like... All of these people that are in bandages, literally broken in two, just decking each other like it's not going to cause any damage. I, I, I just don't get it. That just blows my mind. Like All Might's broken in two, Midoriya's broken in two. Ida had no problem punching Midoriya a few episodes ago. Now, you know, even if All Might is still in his weakened form, he's still punching Midoriya in the face, who literally just got out of the hospital for being unconscious for like a week. You know what I mean? Right. And we, um, this, this beach is called Dagobah Municipal Beach Park. And just this past week, as, as we're recording this, not as this goes live, on Trivia Tuesday, I had talked about how Horikoshi leaned pretty heavily on Yoda when he was designing Gran Torino. And in our Discord and on Twitter, we had some, some of our friends of the podcast um, mention a couple other things. Like, for instance, that mall that Shigaraki and Midoriya met in, like, was called the Wookiee Mall or some such like this. And um, a gentleman on Twitter, Marco Gonzalez, was the one that pointed out, he was like, don't forget that Dagobah Beach is like, that's where they trained. And uh, then like the next time that we sat down to watch episodes, we're back at this beach. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to um, Ohm, who was always in conversation with us and Marco Gonzalez on Twitter for uh, jumping in on that trivia and making us making us aware of uh, stuff that we continually seem to overlook because we're dummies. Yeah, I didn't. That's really cool that there was so much Star Wars influence in this. I didn't know any of that until your post this week. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, getting back to the scene on the beach, there's a punch, and, and All Might is kind of he's chastising. He's doing a lot of chastising here, um, but the whole time that he's doing it, you're kind of wait. You're you're waiting for the turn. You know, it's not like he's 
he's like, you know, I'm really, he, he's really laying into Midori. He's calling him reckless and saying that he's harming his body and all this kind of stuff. Um, but then he turns it around and he's like, you know what, you, you know, you got away without getting hurt this time. And that's, that's, that's amazing. And he's seeing this he, progress in Midoriya. Yeah. And he mentions that he's just incredibly proud of him. And he tells him, he's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to train you, you know? And so they're both crying and hugging each other, but I've got in my notes, uh, that he calls Midoriya crybaby for crying, but all might's crying too, but that's okay because so am I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. You were, you Adam were. I gotcha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say it was just a really emotional scene there, man. Yeah, there in in the middle of this, uh, there was a really funny gag where All Might buffs back up into buff All Might form, and he like does three three like quick air jabs with the arm that isn't in the sling, and then he just shrinks back down to Jinko jeans and starts vomiting blood everywhere. It was like yeah. his own visual uh, storytelling to Midoriya, like, Hey, I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I can, I can't even hold this form to do three punches to the air, let alone, um, have to stand up against these villains. So, you know, it's just further emphasizing to him that it's, it's about to be on Midoriya to do whatever needs done next. And we know that although, um, one for all, or excuse me, all for one, I keep getting those two mixed up, even though he's now in captivity, that he wasn't the only villain. He might not even be the worst problem um, out there in the world. And now it's Midoriya's turn to uh, kind of step up. And I think the final kind of words to this particular set of scenes was something like, it's it's time for, this is Midoriya speaking, something like, it's time for me to realize that the sun has set on the era of All Might. And uh, it's beginning to, to rise on his era as the owner of the one for all in, the, in that symbol of peace. For sure, for sure. Well, this is a, a quick second here. I think you had mentioned that this was in the manga book as well as a side note, but this was like the interim of the episode where they cut away for commercial break, mm -hmm. and it's really quick. So I would be really you know surprised if you guys didn't miss this. But it's a quick blurb about uh, Genus and Ragdoll, and they're saying that I guess the best Genus has escaped the death, but he is not going to be working for a really long time. So at least we know he's alive because I was assuming he was dead. And they mentioned that Ragdoll is unable to use her quirk, so she has been suspended from hero activities until further notice. So it sounds like she's alive as well, and it's just that she can't use her quirk at all. Because I think last time we saw her, she was pretty much just like totally zonked out of her mind. Yeah, definitely. She's, she'd been pretty thoroughly incapacitated. There's also, um, that is like a, done as a lot of, uh, it's almost like a radio announcer, I think, in the manga that kind of gives you that, um, that explication before we move on to the scene uh, that we'll talk about next. But right before all that, there's this really cool piece of art where Midoriya is sitting on a bench in his costume next to All Might in Jinko Jeans form, but All Might's wearing his um, his costume that's sized for him when he's large. And he's just, it looks like it's hanging on him like it's like four sizes too big and it's kind of sad. I mean, I might post this that on the Twitter sad. too, but it's a really yeah, cool visual. A, it's a sad visual. <laughs> Well, we transition into this another scene where we've got some of the head honchos over at UA High talking, and it's Nezu and Vlad's there, and of course Aizawa, and All Might is actually there as well. And it looked like he was handing All Might some sort of like a plaque of like appreciation. I mean, he's talking about how great he's been, and you know, like you've been the best hero we could have asked for, and a great teacher. But in reality, you're probably the reason the school is having so many issues. Like you're a pretty hot target for villains right now. 
Uh, and he's like, you know, I really want to strengthen the faith and the heroes that we have left after you leave. So I've got a plan that we're going to implement, and I've been wanting to do this for a while. And we get this quick shot at the top of the screen where it says something about, like, dorms at UA. Mm-hmm. So the, the next rest of this episode so far is just going to be Aizawa and All Might pretty much going around to some students' houses and trying to recruit them and talk their parents into letting these kids come and stay at the school that have had multiple reoccurrences of villain attacks. And, you know, surprisingly enough, most of the parents are pretty okay with it. Yeah, they, they seem pretty pretty all right with the idea. I mean, they visit Jiro's parents first, um, and Aizawa is explaining, you know, we, we know that a lot of things are going on, but I assure you that we're, we're we're doing, we're going to do things wholly new, wholly differently. We just need you to trust us. And Jiro's like, well, you don't have to bow. Like Aizawa is bowing in deference and humility to Jiro's parents. And, um, she's like, you don't have to bow. We already made up our minds before you guys even came here. Um, so Jiro's (laughs) family's cool with it. And there's even this little thing where her dad takes offense to her saying that, like revealing that. And, um, yeah, because he was kind of like, oh, come on. I was trying to be a little stern with him at first. <laughs> yeah, and so she's explaining to Aizawa. She's like, my old man saw All Might's fight on TV. He said, with with this rockin' dude teaching my daughter, she'll be as awesome as Brian the Sun. And he was even crying. And I have in my notes, yeah. I'm like, what in the world is Brian the Sun? Um, but I went and read the manga afterwards. I always re- read the manga uh, after I watch the episode. And there's a note in here that says Brian the Sun is a Japanese band that plays the ending theme song to the anime. So it was a cool little like that's pretty cool. in-universe reference to the uh, the end credit scene and the music in it huh, anyway. That's neat. I'm pretty sure that uh, Jiro's father and present Mike have to be like best friends. <laughs> and, I, and in the English version, I'm pretty sure the voice actor for present Mike voiced her father. Oh, yeah. But like just the way that they look, I'm totally willing to bet that they hang out and like jam and make music or or just listen to music. They, they look like they'd be best pals. Yeah. Well, they they go from Jiro's to Bakugo's house and Bakugo's mom and, and himself are fighting. And then his dad is just like a total pushover. He's definitely not the yeah. pants wearer in this family. Not, not even at close. all. And like, I, not at all what I was expecting. There's a great scene where, you know, they just transition to his mom saying, hell yeah, get this kid in a dorm room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, Baki goes kind of fighting with her and he calls her a hag. And then she's like, well, you know, you better not use your quirk on me. And then it pans over to the dad and he's just like this nerd, like this little like dad bod guy sitting there like, please calm down. Yeah. And then they both like start chewing him out, you know, and he's like, okay, sorry. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but she explains, Bakugo's mom explains that they'd be grateful for him to go. And she kind of gets gets into a little bit of Bakugo's character. She's like, he's, he's, he's restless and he's really good at everything. And he's got this crazy good quirk. And so that's why everybody's always just fawning over him. And he keeps getting praised for shallow stuff. And, um, she's like, Hey, you know what? This, this might be his time. Like he gets praised for every little thing. So I was kind of glad to hear you. And he's talking, she's talking to Aizawa to hear what you had to say at the press conference, because you in that moment, proved to me that you really understood my son. And um, that was pretty meaningful to her. So she like makes Bakugo bow. She places her hand over Bakugo's head and forces his head down into that that bowing position, which is a big sign of deference and humility in that culture. Uh, and the three of them are bowing before uh, All Might and Aizawa. And she says, our son's trouble and I know that, but please work him hard and, and make a good hero out of him. And that was a really cool scene. 
it was a cool scene. And I will say she seems relatively calm for the fact that her son has been pretty much missing for the last week. You know, I mean, yeah. he's literally been kidnapped by villains and she seems pretty calm about it. I mean, other than the fact that like we get this quick scene where Bakugo follows All Might out of the house and he he's talking to him. And after they're done, the mom is like, damn it. I told you to stay in here. The police told you to stay in here. Don't go away. You know, and other than that, though, I mean, she seemed pretty chill about the whole event. Yeah. And it's great, this scene between him and All Might, you know, he asks All Might, like, all right, so what's Deku to you? And All Might pretty much just gives him this canned response of, like, well, he's one of my students just like you, and, you know, he's a good friend and whatnot. And he's like, okay, I get it. You can't tell me. That's fine. And then as he walks away, he just says, well, thank you. And I think that's the first time we've really seen Bakugo show some, like, serious respect and even thank anybody for anything. I mean, it was just a... Really great scene here. What do you think Bakugo is thanking All Might for? See, I assumed he was thanking him for saving him. I mean, just the whole thing, like being there and and putting that amount of effort into making sure that people were going to be okay. You know what I mean? I agree. I think he was thanking him specifically for saving him as an individual, but also at the same time thanking him for serving as the symbol of peace, even if he realizes that now he can't or won't be that any longer. I think it's kind of like like you would use that idea of like a plaque of thank you for serving. I, I think that sure. this this thanks from Bakugo was was the as good as you're gonna get from him in that regards. He's thanking I mean we we know this is all Might is Bakugo's hero too. I mean, from from childhood. Um, so he's he's thanking him for I think that. it's also a little twofold though, because I think he's also thanking him for saving Midoriya. Because if you think about it, if if he had never given that quirk to Midoriya, Bakugo never would have been saved. Midoriya is the entire reason that they those kids were there the moment they were to get him out of that situation. So while he mm. is thanking All Might for all of the things we just listed, I think he's also thanking All Might for doing whatever he's doing with Midoriya. Because, listen, Bakugo knows that Midoriya didn't have a quirk. He also knows that all of a right. sudden he's spending a buttload of time with All Might. And now he knows that All Might doesn't have a quirk for the most part. Like, he's seen this Jinko Jeans All Might, as we call him. So I think he I think he knows. You know what I mean? Like, I think he knows there's something there. And I think he realizes that he has to thank All Might for his life, not just because All Might saved him, but because... Because Midoriya really saved him too. And if All Might hadn't saved Midoriya yeah. to begin with, then there's a good chance Bakugo wouldn't be around. That's true. We transition. Uh, All Might ends up sending Aizawa on to, I think, Ochako's house. Did they actually. say? Because um, he just said something like, about like splitting up to cover more ground in the English version. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, I think the Midorias live around here, so I'll go, I'll go talk to them. And he, he goes to Midoriya's house all by himself, All Might does. And I was like, oh, snap. In my notes, I just have All Might is about to see Midoriya's weird room yeah, shrine. Yeah, the same thing. Um, just, <laughs> which is something that you were super excited about. I, I didn't think the anime did a great job of sh- of like showing him having any mo- any kind of response I mean, to what like, he saw. He walks by and looks at it all, and then he just chuckles. He's like, ha-ha. <laughs> it just keeps going. Like, yeah. that was it. And. In the in the in the Japanese in the subtitled version, he doesn't make any sounds whatsoever. He just kind of looks in and keeps walking. But in the manga, he's looking around, and he's like clear. He like there's like a bead of sweat on his face as he's looking at himself and like you know the buff 
buff form and all these posters and stuff. And then there's a panel where it just has the word awkward written over his head where he's just like, oh, this is so awkward. That would be awkward. <laughs> it was pretty great. I mean, I just like, yeah, how would you awkward. feel if you came to my house and it was just covered in like, you know, pictures of you and like I had all kinds of toys yeah. of like Adkins, you know what I mean? Like it would just be weird. Now, granted, you're not right. the number one hero, right? But like even then, it's still just kind of strange. Yeah. The rest of this episode um, is pretty darn interesting. So All Might again is on this mission from UA to explain the dormitory situation, but we already know. We've actually already had a, a little bit of a discussion revealed to us where Deku's mom is, she's kind of had enough. She's at her wits end with all this UA and hero stuff and seeing Midoriya being hurt. And so in a few episodes ago, she straight up asked him on the phone, like, do you have to go back to that school? Um, so All Might sits down to run them through this dormitory thing. And she's like, no, I just don't, if his, if his future is a bloody one like yours and listen, it's, it's, I, I just don't have the nerves of steel needed to entrust him to you right now. And she's just shutting it down. And Midoriya is kind of shocked by this, um, by her, his mom just putting, putting her foot down on this. And she says something to the effects of, I feel like maybe him staying quirkless and being happy watching heroes would have just been better for him. He gets upset with this um, and he starts to take some of the blame. He's like, but mom, all this damage that you've heard about, this is this is me. I made decisions. I, I violated, you know, what they had told me to do. This is my fault. But she's like, no, no, like ultimate responsibility lies with this school. Um, she's, she's not having it. Yeah. Cause I think she mentions like, well, if that's the case, then that means you're not learning and that's their fault too. Yeah. So he storms off at this point and he goes and gets the letter to Coda and he explains, you know, because she's like, maybe he just doesn't need to be at UA. There are all these other hero schools. And so Midoriya goes and gets Koda's letter. And he's like, even if it was just for a second, I was a hero to Koda. So it doesn't have to be UA. I, I want to be a hero. I'll go anywhere I have to in order to do that. And this is where All Might is struck by Midoriya once again. And this is such a cool scene Definitely the best part of episode 50, easily. Because All Might uses that little bit of ember that he has left and, and resumes that, that buff form of his and then just gets down on the ground, like face on the floor, uh, down on his hands and knees before the Midoriya family. And he's just like, he starts making vows and promises. He's prostrated himself before Midoriya and his mom. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm, I've done this stuff out of order. But I really believe that Izuku is the right person to succeed me, that he's going to become the symbol of peace. I'll keep him from that path of blood. I'll just let me continue to be his mentor. Um, and I promise that everything will turn out well. You know, you're looking at UA yeah. as it is right now, but you got to think about the future UA. That's where we need to be. Um, yeah, he even mentions that, like, you know, I will protect your son even at the cost of my life, you know? Yeah, and this is where Midor uh, Mrs. Midoriya speaks up, and she's like, I, I can't agree to that because uh, Izuku lives for you, so you can't, you don't get to sacrifice your life. You have to live, and then you can look after him. That's the deal. Yeah, and she says, you know, if you can promise to protect and raise Izuku, then you can have my permission. And that seemed really powerful. I mean, that, that had to have been really hard for her to say. Yeah, but he All Might accepts that. He says, listen, you have my word. And that's... I was totally convinced that in this scene, All Might was going to tell her that, you know, like, I'm really sorry. I gave your son these powers without ever even consulting you, you know? And I... Because at this point, I don't think we know that she understands where... Midoriya or Izuku has gotten his powers from. 
Right. And I thought um, in the subtitled, it kind of is implied when he says, he says something like, I've done all this out of order. And I think that that was him kind of insinuating what you're talking about. Like, I should have come and talked to you first and then gotten your permission to do this. Then some of this stuff would make more sense and you would see things like he and I see things. Well, and he makes a mention that he could have probably trained him to avoid a lot of bloodshed and he's already failed at that. So he's going to start doing that, you know? So I guess he did kind of in a roundabout beat around the bush way say like, okay, I've given my powers to you because he does make a mention that he's chosen Midoriya to become the next symbol of peace. Right. So I guess in a real roundabout way, he did say like, yeah, sorry, your son's got powers because of me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Did you stay around for the after credits scene this this time? Yeah, I did. I check them every time since I missed that one of Bakugo brushing his teeth. (laughs) Like after I missed one of the best scenes in this entire show, I have to stick around for all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I need to find a gif of that and just figure out how to put it as my background for everything because it's so great. That's awesome. Yeah, and this in the after credit scene this time around, we get this awful, like, I don't know, it freaked me out. It's this scene of All for One being in prison, and he's totally bound up. Like, they have got him in a straitjacket, and he's like, not only is he in a straitjacket, but he's also tied down to the chair in, like, a padded cell that's, like, 15 layers deep in this, like, super mega prison, it seems like. And he's just talking to himself, and he's talking about how, like, yeah, All might beat me, but in the end, he's the one that failed because, you know, he thinks that like he's doing the right thing by getting closer to his students. But in reality, a teacher's job is to teach his student to become independent instead of relying on the teacher. And he goes, you know, my student has comrades and he's learned how to increase the number of his comrades. And we transition to seeing Shigaraki and the League of Villains. And this is when All for One is talking about Shigaraki and he says, now it's your turn. Yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just, this All for One guy just needs to be killed, man. Like he is so evil. And every time he says something like he's the perfect foil of All Might, I'm just like, shut up. Yeah, but it makes for a really interesting kind of bookend to these two scenes where the previous episode ends with All Might saying to Midoriya, it's your turn. And now this one is uh, all for one saying the same thing about Shigaraki and it's 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 very well done from a literary perspective of these these two it parallel storylines like you're saying they've set these two guys up now as these foils and and they're they're evolving at similar rates and they've got opposing um, ends so um, this is this is being very very well engineered from uh, a narrative perspective. So there's still much to be excited about, even though it may seem like you know the the two biggest strongest guys have already had their thing and, and settled it and whatever. There's still so much more yet to come, and things are going to become much more bombastic um, in the future if things hold um, the trajectory and the pacing that they do now. Sure, for sure. Well, I do have one quick question for you. I don't want to keep everybody too long. There's this scene here at the very end with Shigaraki, and he looks totally upset because he knows All for One's been captured, right? And he's holding all of those hands that he, like, attaches to himself uh, whenever he attacks or, I guess, is on the move, like when they were at USJ. And so far, we've seen all of these heroes have suits that kind of boost their abilities somehow, and I'm just wondering what's up with these hands. Like, how did they aid him in his quirk at all or do they or is it just some sort of weird creepy like oh, i'm a villain so i've got to have a creepy costume you know what i mean yeah i still i think a bunch of ep- of our episodes ago i had posited the theory that they're like maybe the hands of his family and that they're yeah, just like that seems... creepy knickknacks that he keeps on his person to for for 
for who knows what reason. I mean, it could be something super macabre and disturbing, which, you know, he's a villain and he's kind of crazy a bit. So that, that could just, that could just be it. And I would be, I'd be fine with that. I don't think it has any bearing on his power. Not that we've seen anything to, to think that I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess this scene was really weird because I felt like he was cradling them all like a baby or something. Like the way he was holding them, I was like, that's really odd. Well, they're, I mean, he's referred to at least one of them as father. So, I mean, if they are pieces of his family and, you know, all for one was his stand in for his family and now all for one is gone, that this might be all the quote unquote family that he has left. And so he's kind of holding them kind of close, almost as if, you know, like a kid would hold a teddy bear close in a crisis. Like, this is all that I have. Man, that's creepy, dude. I can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm, like, I'm sure I, we'll I get backstory it on way. it at some point. Oh, I hope so. It'll probably be the first five minutes of the next episode. <laughs> I, w- I don't think so this <laughs> time, but I, I don't know that I would be shocked if, we, if that was the case anyway. It, it happens all too often to us. That's true. Uh, but I guess that brings us to a close this week, man. It does. Good good two episodes, even though episode 50, one, or 50 was you know pumping the brakes a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I think the trajectories are set in such a way that things are going to pick back up. And if season three just overall is any indication, thing, the, the, the pacing of this show is not slow by any means. I mean, this season has been no, it's just definitely not. balls to the wall fast and violent and kinetic. And, you know, sometimes you have to break that up to develop a little bit of narrative, but who knows? I mean, League of Villains could strike in the first five, ep- five minutes of the next episode and not, it, it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel unnatural at all. Sure, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing what the, the dorm life at UA High is like. It sounds like this next episode we're getting some sort of like dorm contest on who has the coolest dorm. So yeah. any, uh, any, you know, guesses on who it's going to be? Um, I, it depends on their definition of cool. I mean, I really think like Todoroki is going to be very minimal, I would think. And I could see him being a minimalist. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Um, I mean, it just really depends I, on on what tickles your fancy. And um, I'm calling Mineta, man. You, th- you know it. Like everyone's going to be like, oh, Mineta's got the coolest room. See, I think Momo has got the most money possibly to trick her her pad out. But j- but she doesn't even need the money to trick her pad out. She could just create whatever she wants. That's true. That's true. Well, that I mean, that's that's another an alternative argument for the same end that Momo has all the reason to be the coolest room if she really wants it. But I also think Jiro is big into she's like, you know, hip and into music. That's so true. maybe she'll deck it out with like speakers and musical instruments and her hers will be the room that everybody wants to hang in and play like rock band at. Um Do you think that Coda's room will just be full of like ferrets and bunnies and guinea pigs? That would be and, like, really funny little if he was, creatures. He was like Doctor Doolittle <laughs> or some such. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, I think that'll wrap us up for this week. What do you think, man? I think so. I think it's time to to move on to episode 51 and 52. 51, man. We've watched 50 of these episodes in this little fun project of ours. And people it's listen. It's crazy, isn't these it? crazy people. They have nothing better yeah. to do with their time. <laughs> We're very appreciative hey, I love of it. you. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do us for this week. We'll see you guys next week for 51 and 52. See you guys. So...
I had my uh, a good friend of mine come over this weekend. Her name's Kelsey, and she is actually an anime artist, and she's huge into My Hero Academia. Like she's been working in the anime field now for close to ten years, I think. Wow. Um, so yeah, she's really cool. She's got an art degree from uh, SCAD down in. Um, Georgia, I think, is where that is. Yeah, it's in Savannah. Yeah. Savannah College of Art and Design. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she's all caught up. Like, she's read the manga and everything, and I was just telling her what I know about it. She's the one that drew uh, our picture. Yeah. That's who that is. So I was talking to her about the whole traitor theory, and I was like, yeah, apparently somebody was telling me that uh, Kaminari is one of the pretty common denominators for this traitor. And I was like, I don't want to know the theories, behind it because I want to see them develop. I was like, but out, out of all of the students, that one seems the weirdest because he hasn't done anything to really like peg himself as being, you know, a villain or, or a traitor or anything. And she said, well, I'll tell you the, the theories behind it have nothing to do with what he's done, but how he's drawn. Apparently the way that they draw Kaminari is how they would typically draw villains. Like the way he's his got eyes pointy are teeth shaped. and stuff for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, well, I don't think does Kaminari have pointy teeth? I thought that oh, was yeah. Hiroshima. Ka- Wait. No. Okay. Yeah. 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 Kaminari is the electric dude. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry, exactly. I've, I've, I channeled my inner Adam. Yeah. Kaminari definitely. <laughs> Kaminari is the one that has the pointy teeth. He's the he's the hardened dude with the red hair. Right. Know? Right. So, no, I'm talking about the electric guy who yeah. is who is. So Kaminari. the way that he draw they draw his eyes. Yeah, well, that's what I said. I was like, well, Kirishima's the one that has the pointy teeth. I would think that if we're going to go by the way people are drawn, it would be him. And she said, well, he's drawn like in a very goofy way, but apparently the way that they draw Kaminari, like the way that his facial structure is set up and the way that the proportions between his eyes and his nose and everything are more towards the way that they would draw villains. And I just thought that was really interesting, or, or not even villains, but like evil characters. Hmm. So that was something that hadn't been explained to me before, and I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And she brought up a really great point because I asked her, I was like, well, personally, who do you think it is for someone that's ahead of the game? And she was like, I, the most unpopular theory is actually my favorite one. And that's that it's Haga Curry because she's invisible and you have no idea what she looks like. You have no idea what her facial expressions are. For all we know, you know, she could look like the most evil one out of all of them. She may not even be a kid. She could be an adult and we would have no idea. And, you know, like we, we've not seen her parents. We've not seen her family members. She's never being really shown on screen with any other like family that we know of. Whereas most of the other students have been shown on screen, even if it's just watching TV, their family's in the background or something. So, you know, she was talking about how there's a pretty, you know, as far as she's concerned, she's like, I think it could be her because you just don't know anything about her. Hmm. And I was like, man, that's a cool idea, especially since we just watched uh, the episode where they're going to the warehouses to find the Nomu. And Ida makes the mention, like, I really wish Haka Curry was here. She'd be the perfect spy. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow, that makes (laughs) so much sense. Yeah, I mean, she definitely would have the ability to kind of stealth around at her own. It's just like Harry Potter with that invisible cloak thing, you know, having the freedom of movement and, um, you know, heightened ability to kind of infiltrate. So I I can track with that. I don't don't know enough about art and how villains are typically are, are not drawn to comment too much on the Kaminari stuff, to be honest, but... Yeah, I don't either, but I thought that was something I hadn't heard before, so... It's kind of neat. One of the other things that Kelsey had mentioned was that we don't know how many scenes we've actually watched where Haga Curry might have been in them. That's true. Like for all we know, she could have been in all of those UA high, you know, homeroom teacher meetings and we never would have known it because all she's got to do is take her clothes off and she's invisible. Yeah. So, 
and, and you know, she was saying that it's pretty common in animes to have a flashback of, you know, the traitor where they were in scenes where the, the audience couldn't see them for one reason or another. Yeah. And so she, her big theory is that that's what they're going to do. Like eventually whenever they oust this traitor, it's going to be her. I guess at this point in time, it's kind of a spoiler that they still don't know who it is. Uh, but she was thinking that like more than likely they're going to have a scene where they show Hagakuri being in the background during all of these different, you know, pieces and puzzles uh, or not pieces and puzzles, but just these different scenes where she's was there the whole time listening in. But what are they going to do? Are they just going to be like, here's a, they're just going to put a, like a clip art of an arrow pointing at nothing. They could just play the same scene and then stick an arrow in the background. Like, yep, there she is. Well, they would, they would play it from her perspective in the scenes and then it would have her internal monologue reacting to the different things or either that or she would be reporting into like Shigaraki or somebody telling him like about the scenes that we saw, you know what I mean? So do all of the theories, number one, do they all involve class 1A students? All of them? Like all of the theories are, I don't know. it's a student from 1A. Why not any of the teachers or why not potentially anybody from 1B? Yeah, see, and that's the thing is, like, I don't want to look up theories because I'm scared of spoiling something, but you know the moment we're done with season three, that's all I'm going to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Because at this point, I'm still convinced it's Nezu, so... <laughs> yeah, you would be. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know that up until this moment that I've suspected any of the students. I think the stronger case to be made that you've presented to me, at least, from what I've heard, is Hagakiri. That, that would make a lot of sense. It would, but I, and it, you know, she had mentioned, and I didn't really pick up on it, but she had mentioned that there was a scene during the campsite where, you know, they're all passed out because of the, uh, gas. Uh, the gas. And she has a mask on, and so does like two or three other people that have already passed out around them. And that it's really possible that it was her idea to give the masks out, like to tell, uh, you know, Momo, like, hey, create these masks. And then she handed them out and then pretended to pass out after disseminating information to the villains on where everybody in the campsite was. Hmm. And I'm like, that seems pretty far fetched. I don't know. But I don't know. It was just kind of a neat theory that I hadn't heard or read anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't spun my tires too much on any of this stuff. Um, I like, I mean, just if I had to vote based on what you presented so far, I would say that the stronger case appears to be Hagakure. I think that one has more plausibility to it. Mostly because the the argument for Kaminari seems to just be, yeah, he's drawn like a bad guy. Um, and I don't know that that's yeah, a terribly that one strong really case. Yeah. But I think Ohm had mentioned that that was the pretty like common denominator too. So what are we missing? I don't know. I like, I, like I said, I can't wait to be done with season three just to go find and read these theories because I don't know how anybody can make the argument that he would be a traitor. He seems like an okay dude as far as I'm concerned. And Jiro seems to like him and she seems to be like pretty, you know, trustworthy. Like she seems like she's got a good head on her shoulders. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, unless his whole thing is he just plays dumb to throw everybody off of his scent because he kind of is. In fact, he got more dumb. Like when he started palling around with Mineta that's true. Hmm. I don't know. It would be interesting if Mineta was the traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would be silly is what that would be. That would be really silly. Because he, he, he draws too much attention to himself too regularly for... He doesn't fly anywhere near close to in the middle of the radar or underneath it, you know? Like, I would think that if this person is going to be the you know the spy or the, the person who's infiltrated the school, that it would be somebody who is more either off of the radar or just barely onto it, like just to keep from 
people being like, man, what is up with this person? They never are doing this or that, you know? Um, but just, I don't know. I would argue that Mineta being as, as annoying as he is to everybody would be good for a trader simply because if he's not there, everybody's relieved he's not there and they're not too worried about what he's actually doing. Okay. You know what I mean? That's fair. That's a fair yeah. point. I don't know. I just thought it would be some fun conversation to maybe throw in somewhere post credits. I didn't, we got really long on this episode, so I didn't want to keep going, but I've really wanted to talk to you about those yeah, theories. Yeah. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpatio net or at almighty pod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.